Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to the Fangirl Freaks Out podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa, and I am back. Uh, If you tuned into the last two episodes, I had mentioned going on a little bit of a break to go see family. Um, Granted, I did like pre-record episodes, so like there was no gap in episodes. So yeah, um... I did want to mention briefly because I was on Twitter and had seen that someone said that uh, the my intro, which I is something that I've always said, but apparently I guess like is a phrase that Thomas Sanders came up with. I'm not 100% sure if that's accurate or not, and uh, if it is, I completely did not know that. And so I just wanted to put it out there that I was not trying to take anything from anybody or claim it as my own. But I mean, I am going to continue to use that as my intro. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that, though, briefly. Also, in other news, the podcast is now available to listen to on Spotify and other platforms. Um, You can find all that information on my Twitter, which if you're not following me, you should, uh, which my at is at Lissa, L-Y-S-S-A underscore white, like the color, W-H-I-T-E. Uh, follow me. And it's essentially the same, you'll find the same kind of content there that you find on this podcast, just me rambling and ranting about <laughs> things I am a fan of because I just, I love to talk, if you couldn't tell from the podcast already. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I before we start with this week's episode, I do want to do a little recap of the last two episodes because since being, since recording them, I have since come to like learn new information. So I kind of want to like address that real quick. So in regards to like episode three, in which I talked about the entrance exam stuff, um, one, I didn't realize that the manga actually included, both the manga and the anime, actually included the top 10 lists with the scores from the entrance exam, which I could have so used for uh, that whole analysis or whatever that I was doing. Um, I did mention though that Bakugo placed first in that episode, which he did, and I even said then, I was like, I'm not 100% sure, my memory might be wrong, um, but no, I was right. <laughs> he placed first with uh, 77 villain points and zero rescue points, which I think I said something about, like, I don't think he had any rescue points because he hadn't had his character development then. Um, and then in second place was Kirishima, which I was not... I was both not surprised, but also surprised at the same time. And I feel like we don't talk about the fact that he placed second in the exams enough. Like the fandom, I don't hear ever really bring it up. So I'm just, I'm shocked, honestly. I'm like, this is very much something we should recognize. But then it's weird too that he placed second and yet, um, like, it, he doesn't do too well, in, or not do too well, but, like, he's not recognized as one of, like, the top strongest students or whatever. 
Like, he's not seen up there on that level. He's only really ever seen as, like, Bakugo's best friend or, like, friend or whatever. And it's like, he plays second in the entrance exam right after Bakugo. Why is that not talked about? Anyway, that was just something I found interesting. Ochako is third, which, yeah, that's, like, another thing. But her placement has more to do with her rescue points. Oh, yeah, and Kiri has both rescue and villain points, which makes sense. They're about, like, equal value, too. Like, that makes sense for Kirishima. Uh, Ochako is third with mostly rescue points. And then there's Ida, who has, like, very minimal rescue points, which, well, Ida's sixth. Uh, Shiozaki and Kendo are, like, fourth and fifth, but, like, we were, I was talking about Class 1A in that episode. So if you do want to hear me talk about Class 1B, and, like, try to do as best of an analysis on how I think they did in the entrance exam there, then let me know, and I will, and I'll probably readdress this chart again. Uh, but, yeah, so in six was Ida, which he had, like, nine rescue points and then 52 villain points, which makes sense to me because, I like, we saw Ida run away <laughs> from Ochako and Izuku, when uh, they were in trouble during the entrance exam, I can't speak. So that, like, it makes sense that he has, like, very little uh, rescue points to me anyway. Like, I, I can see him, like, maybe helping somebody stand up who fell over or something. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how the rescue points were, like, evaluated. But, yeah. And then after him is Midoriya, which we know he got all rescue points and, like, zero villain points. And then it's Tetsu Tetsu, which, again, kind of makes sense. But I feel like, like, this is the only time that Tetsu Tetsu and Kirishima are kind of split in the sense that, like, they didn't score equal, like, the same or, like... Because these two have a lot in... Like, their quirks are essentially the same thing. And they also share a birthday, which I will be getting to a little bit later about birthdays in the show. And, yeah, like, these two are always... And then in the sports festival, they, like, tied and then had to arm wrestle or whatever for the advancement. But, like, the fact that there's that big of a gap between Kirishima's placement and Tetsu Tetsu's placement is, like, very telling or, or just interesting to me. But, anyway, like I said, I'll get to Class 1B at a later time if that's something that people want. But in ninth place was Tokuyami, which, again, like, is... Something that's not surprising, but surprising at the same time, considering especially, too, in the sports festival, Tokoyami placed so high up, which, again, like, kind of just shows that, like, the entrance exam, the way it's set up, isn't necessarily really fit for all types of quirks, I guess. And that, I think, I can't remember if I said something about this, because it's been a couple weeks, but I think um, I had said something about, like, not really knowing how well Tokoyami would have fared with the light. Because, I, I mean, we know that Dark Shadow can't really be out in the light. And, obviously, in the entrance exam, their quirks aren't fully developed yet. So, or especially to where they are now. So, I'm, like, curious as to how well Tokoyami, I can't, <laughs> I can't speak today. I'm sorry. But how Tokoyami fared in the entrance exam, you know? Like, just trying to deal with dark shadow i mean granted he probably had good control over it because of the lighting but being able to like properly use dark shadow to the full power you know 
he has some rescue points, and but it was mostly uh, villain points. And then Awase uh, placed 10th. And so, yeah, that was something I wanted to bring up, though, in reference to episode three, where I talked about, like, how did they get into UA? But um, we don't know the placement of the rest of the the class. So, I mean, my analysis is still, like, I mean, my initial thoughts and opinions still stand. They didn't change much upon learning this information. But, um, yeah, and that's not really... A spoiler, because it was in episode five in the anime, which I've been, especially too, since the game has come out, the My Hero Academia mobile game, if you haven't heard of it. It's available in some countries. I'm not sure uh, fully where, but um, I've been essentially being recapped onto like what happens in the beginning and reminded, because I don't have that great of a memory. Uh, um, so like being reminded of like, how it, the beginning was it's like oh yeah in episode five it showed the top 10 scores which is in the manga because I was looking back at early manga chapters for something and I had seen it and I was like oh wait I didn't know that they showed the the entrance results like I remember at the sports festival Zuku saying something about like oh yeah he placed first overall in the entrance exam and uh, in regard to Bakugo so I knew we knew that information but I did, like, didn't realize like early on it had actually showed like the scores and all of that, which I think that was like manga chapter four or five, one of those two. Uh, but yes, it was in the anime episode five. Um, moving on to like a quick recap of some additional thoughts to episode four, which uh, I was very scatterbrained for and didn't really have like the energy and... Um, capabilities to like fully mentally process what I was trying to say during that episode even though like I I typically well the first couple episodes one and two I don't think I really wrote out my thought process and just kind of like turned on turned on my recording system and started talking but um I tried to like write out my thoughts for this episode in the past two episodes to kind of like have a little bit more structure and uh during the planning for episode four I couldn't really get out all of my thoughts at the time so he's he, English <laughs> I'm so sorry um here are some additional thoughts though that I had for that um episode so I again on Twitter because I follow the My Hero Academia topic and so I get to see like a lot of the the tweets that people will have tweet out about the show. Um, someone had said something about like imagining a quirkless Deku in a hero in the hero society being like plausible is like it doesn't work, and saying that it's not possible for him to be a hero without a quirk because um, it's like he wouldn't have any protection or it wouldn't be safe or whatnot without a quirk. Like he doesn't have a quirk to defend himself. And it, to me, it's just like, I mean, some, there are pro heroes who don't have quirks that like, um, that could protect them either in certain situations. I think like the scenarios that the person brought up and I don't remember who tweeted this. So I apologize for that, but they had said something like, 
what are they going to do? Just give Deku a gun and say, yep, go be a hero. And it's like, I mean, no, that's, I mean, in that case, it's just, he's acting as like a police officer almost. Um, but like in this scenario of like a villain having a gun quirk or something along those lines where a weapon is involved, it's like not all, um, or just if the villain themselves were to have a gun or like some sort of weapon, like not all heroes are able to protect themselves against that. Like not all heroes have armor and like, in that episode i kept referring to aizawa which i'm going to go back to here as well like aizawa can only cancel out quirks if unless the the weapon or gun or whatever is part of their quirk and he can erase it like he again is essentially fighting like he fights quirkless like he his quirk is only to get rid of other people's quirks and then and once their quirk's gone they're now fighting quirkless against him so now they're both just fighting like normal people so i'm like i don't see how izuku couldn't possibly do that too with proper training you know so that's why i'm like i would love to see a quirkless deku because even in the beginning too of like the slut the slime sludge villain or whatever you want to call it like he all these heroes with quirks um couldn't do anything they couldn't do anything in that situation. I mean, granted, ne- neither could Deku, but he still ran in and helped. So, it's like, it, it to me, it just, I don't feel like it matters. But society, the hero society, puts such an emphasis on the quirks. Which I will, again, uh, get into, like, a little bit later. But, um, yeah, so... Or, I guess now, because, uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm, like, looking at my notes. But, no, because if you, I would have loved to have an alternate universe, I guess, which I know people create, like, stories where it's, like, imagine if Izuku was quirkless or whatever, like, those alternate, like, a quirkless Deku alternate universe. But it's, like, if, if that was how it was originally written, granted, the My Hero story, like I said, would not have been the same, but it would have allowed for a lot more like critique and criticism of the hero society that we see in the universe, in the My Hero universe. And I mean, grand, uh, even now we could still critique and criticize the the hero un- like society and like the expectations and just how like if you really look at it, it's not the best. And that's honestly a whole podcast episode in itself. So I mean, if y'all are interested in getting into it about the hero society and like the flaws of it um then we could totally talk about that or I could talk about it I guess and I would be so down for that because I have a lot of thoughts but um but no like uh, having a Zuku be quirkless and trying to be a hero would allow for like way more critiques than we are allowed to do now because it's like he He's still fulfilling his, like, able to fulfill his dream to become a hero, but, like, they still made it to where, or, or bleh, sorry, Horikoshi made it to where he has a quirk to do it. Like, he still had to have a quirk, which, like, is cute and all, and and I'm not dogging Horikoshi. Like, literally, this episode, 
the plan for this episode is to show my appreciation for that man because I adore this series and all the work and thought he put into it. Um, but I'm just trying, like, trying to say, like, it could have been a lot different. But Horikoshi still doesn't shy away from criticizing or showing some sort of criticism towards the hero society that they live in. But, yeah, so that was just a quick little, I say quick, it's been, like, 15 minutes. But that was essentially uh, um, a quick little recap of some additional thoughts and opinions I had to add to the first, or the first, episodes three and four. Uh, but now on to this week's topic, Horikoshi appreciation. That is what I want to talk about this week. Um, and with that being said, I am going to give a spoiler warning now for manga spoilers because I cannot, <laughs> I cannot go into full detail of why I love this series and the amazing work that is of Kohei Horikoshi without going into full detail of all the um, information that I have, which this entire like appreciation podcast episode is based off of my knowledge and my interpretation of the show. Um, so I just want to put that out there as well. But yes, this will contain manga spoilers up to like chapter 311 because that's the latest, no, 313 because that's the latest that's been out, been released, and that's what I've read. So yeah. Um, okay, so I gave a few seconds and I'm going to leave that pause in there because I wanted to give non-manga readers time to take a step away but who don't want to be spoiled anyway so uh, this initially this idea for this podcast episode initially started out as a tweet I made which once again if you're not following me on twitter hi uh you should do that if you well if you feel obliged to follow me um at lissa underscore white and um yeah so it like I just I just have so much appreciation for Horikoshi and just the work and thought that he put into this entire series and just I <laughs> when I say I'm a big fan of this show like I really genuinely mean that like there's just so much that he does in his work that I like really genuinely appreciate and as someone who like went to school to learn how to like tell a story through well I took classes to do it or I went to school to do it through film and tv which essentially is like what he's doing but he's doing it with manga and um anime like I just it's a similar process and like for a good story you have to really be invested in it and like really do your your work and your research and just put a lot of effort into it, which he does. And I really genuinely appreciate that. And excuse me. And I, um, and yeah, there's like just a few points that I like, I want to really bring up during this, this, um, 
episode and if I start to get a little bit derailed I have things written out so again like I can come back to it but like one of the biggest things that I really admire about (laughs) horror Koshi's like dedication and just work that he's put into the series is the attention to detail that he has like every character has a birthday like every character including I think in what the movie in one of the movies uh I think it's here no two heroes like there's a a side character who like you see for a brief moment and you don't even know her name it's a hero and she like pops up at the banquet or whatever that they're at and she has a birthday like you can go on the fandom site and find all these birthdays and it's just insane to me because it's like granted I know like other authors do this and stuff or like ev- there are other like mangas or animes or series where characters have birthdays like I know this isn't a Horikoshi exclusive thing but still it's just something that I find to be so interesting and like admire is the time and dedication it takes to like come up with a birthday for every character whether it's unique or not like I know some characters share birthdays like I mentioned earlier Tetsu Tetsu and Kirishima but like even that like attention to detail of making them have some like the same birthday when like when they have a very similar quirk and they're compared to each other quite often because of that it's like what better thing to do than to also make them born on the same day like I don't know that just that detail to me is like so funny and also tells a story of its own in a way like it hints at the fact that these two are supposed to be like very much alike Um, and yet one's in class 1A and the other's in class 1B. Um, and then two, Mirio and Deku share a birthday, which I feel like, again, is very telling and a lot of attention to detail on Horikoshi's part, because not only do these two work together, but they were both, well, granted, Deku is the successor of All Might, but Mirio was like a runner up, like he was going to be the one considered to be All Might's successor had he not met Deku. And, like, so the fact that they also share a birthday and, like, have similar, like, ways of thinking or personalities when it comes to being a hero, like, I just, again, like, just that attention to the detail when it comes to not only, like, giving every character a birthday, but also, like, how these birthdays can symbolize and reckon like or recognize symbolize and tell a story of their own or tell some elements of the story that like some people may pick up on and some people may not and that's also too a risk that you have to take as a writer is like are people going to understand what I'm trying to do here like are they going to pick up on it or whatnot so that's just that's again another thing like I really appreciate and on top of, like, the character birthdays, like, the attention or, like, the the detail to, like, character names, for example, or another thing, like, the fact that Shoto's name, Sho means burning and To means freezing, and, like, the kanji, I think, in Japanese translates to burning and freezing in Japanese, or, like, the Japanese kanji for Sho and To 
mean burning and freezing i hope i'm explaining this right like i am trying to learn japanese so my japanese knowledge is very limited at the moment and i apologize if i get any pronunciations or anything wrong like i am not trying to offend anybody but going back to shoto's name though it's like the fact that his first name is like burning and freezing when he has a fire and ice quirk is like that just that like unless you know what i mean the kanji mean or translate to like this isn't something that you would recognize or notice but like still that attention to that like yes let's have this character who has half and half uh as a quirk like let's make his name literally mean burning and freezing half and half essentially like half one of his quirks and half the other half you know and speaking of like shoto like the todoroki siblings in general i don't know what uh toya's name means um because i haven't really looked into that one but recently <laughs> i actually just learned that natsu means uh, summer and fuyu i think that's pronunciation i am again sorry if i pronounce anything wrong but fuyu means winter so Fuyumi, her name translates to winter beauty, which I'm like, that's actually, that's really cute considering that, like, that's their first, first and only daughter, the Todorokis, but also too, like, she has an ice quirk. So, and, an on, and only an ice quirk and ice and snow and all that are typically uh, correlated with winter. So, like, Fuyumi's name meaning winter and then, like, beauty because... Like, typically, that's what I feel like a lot of people try to get their daughters to be named around is, like, beauty, grace, stuff like that. Uh, so, like, I, it's very fitting that her name is, like, has winter in it with a nice quirk. Now, Natsu's I find interesting because Natsu meaning summer, but he also has a nice quirk. It's like those two don't line up, but I find it also like interesting because summer is known to be like the opposite of winter and Natsuo was born after um Fuyumi so like it makes sense to make oh we have winter like here's summer I also don't remember their birthdays otherwise I would have like looked into that even a bit more actually as I continue to talk I'll look it up but um yeah so like not well Natsu is summer and the o and natsuo's name essentially just makes it masculine uh from my understanding of like how the name uh translates so yeah i'm just like i'm i, I just find that so interesting so um natsuo's birthday is actually in the summer his birthday is july 1st and Fuyumi's birthday is in winter. See, that's even, that's crazy. Because, okay, I just made this discovery while recording. Um, so that's even more fitting. So Fuyumi's name, meaning winter beauty, like one, she has an ice quirk, winter, got it. But also too, she was born, their beautiful daughter was born in the winter. And then Natsuo, their son, was born in the summer see that that 
and then that goes that ties back into the birthdays that ties back into the birthdays see these details these details i'm telling you like horikoshi really put a lot of thought into like the small things and i admire and appreciate that so much as someone who's like very detailed oriented too like these kind of things just they fascinate me like i admire them so much and i know um if only this was had a video aspect I mean, it kind of does, but it doesn't. But if only this podcast was like a video podcast, then I would so put like a admire and appreciation uh, word count <laughs> counter because uh, I've definitely said that a lot and be prepared for it to be say said English. Hello. Uh, be prepared for it to be said a ton more times. But that's that's I'm I'm just. You're getting a live reaction of me reacting to learning information like this. Like, that is crazy to me. And I love that so much. But yeah, so again, like just the, the work and the detail and the attention to um, to these kinds of details. Like, I just, I love it. And I love Horikoshi for it. Ugh. Anyway, okay, I'm, like, still trying to grasp that. But on to the next bit. Um, next thing I want to talk about. See, this is what I mean by, like, I had to write out these thoughts because I knew I was going to get derailed a little bit. But next thing I want to talk about is uh, how he writes the characters. And I just love that, like, a lot of the side characters have very complex written stories. Like, he doesn't just focus on, like, the main character. Like, we don't just have, like, a complex background and, like, deep story and lore for just Izuku. Like, we have it for many, many more characters. And this is where the, like, the, um, the manga spoilers warning is going to come into effect, really. Because two of the main characters that... I want to kind of talk about in regards to like being side characters, but having these deep, deep stories and then like what they represent, what they can represent. And like the story that it tells within itself is Hawks and Dobby. So starting with Hawks, like we know that this, this young man, he is 22, 23, I think currently in the manga, but he literally from a young age, um, grew up in a household with a criminal for a dad or a villain, I guess, because criminals and villains are, like, go hand in hand, I guess, in this universe. But um, his dad was a criminal, and his mom was kind of, like, not really there fully for him or, like, didn't really care. He essentially grew up in an abusive household similar to Dobby. And yet he went on to become a hero. Granted, like, he didn't really get much of a childhood, again, because he was forced to train, um to become like a good hero because the hero safety commission, I think, I don't know if that's fully their name. I can't ever remember, but like they wanted him to be the perfect hero. And so like he was from a young age forced to train like that. And which is very similar to um, kind of Dobby's past, but mostly Shoto's past, um, which we'll get into those two as well. And yet he, has and he's just he's just complex in general because we see that with him going undercover as a double agent but like he was trained to do stuff like that and he he's just like deeply written and 
just goes to show um how just how much like is kind of wrong with the hero society in the sense that like they really just don't let kids be kids and if they only see them for their quirks and if it could benefit them which is what happened to hawks is like they saw this little kid help save people have this powerful quirk and then they were like well we dug up all this information on you and now we're kind of putting you into a corner where we know like you're struggling to survive so like give us your son and we will provide for you and give you food and shelter and all that and then they like of course hawks's mom who like kind of made hawks take care of both of them at a young age agreed to it so then like hawks it's i like hawks's character in general like that's why he's like number two on my list because there's a lot there with his character that like i can relate to and also to just like i just i (laughs) i english words those don't exist right now um yeah but like his character represents so much especially when it comes to the hero society and like his backstory and like he we don't really see him i mean the first time he shows up in the anime is the last two episodes i think of season four and we're on season five and like that's those chapters are like chapters one like almost close to 200 chapters and we're at 300 chapters like he's not in it a whole lot like he's briefly mentioned and like admired because he's a young hero who's like now number three or number two now but um like he's the youngest to do it essentially and he's like one of the only top heroes who didn't go to ua or something like that um and just like he has a lot there for being a side character if you think about it i mean granted he's playing a bigger role in things now but like it's just there's a lot of potential there and then to his favorite hero being endeavor with you think about and consider dobby's past or dobby as toya todoroki and the todorokis in general like that like that just that irony there is something to note um but yeah uh speaking of like the todorokis and dobby like that's another thing like dobby being like a very well the todorokis in general are like very very much written in depth and like have a whole storyline of their own they honestly deserve like their own like spinoff like i could see it so being like a keeping up with our kardashians type of vibe with them but like there's so much drama and stuff there that they could have their own little side like moment but like compared or sorry um similar to like hawks it's like Dobby too, like at a young age, was forced to train or made to train by Endeavor because he wanted him to surpass All Might. Um, but then, like his quirk was hurting his body, so like Endeavor gave up and like started trying to have the perfect child. We all know the story. Um, but it's crazy to think about how like for this situation where it's similar to Hawks, instead of having or becoming a hero, he turns to a life of villainy to get payback at his dad, who is a hero. Which, if you think about it, too, and this is something I just thought about on the spot, but, like, if you think about it, too, that's kind of telling as well where, 
Hawks was the one who had a villain for a dad and dealt with his abuse from his dad and then became a hero, whereas Dobby or Toya, whichever you want to refer to him as, he had a hero for a dad, but, like, he also faced abuse, which, if you really think about it, it's like, how is this man... Like, I'm sure that would confuse any child. Like, he's supposed to be the number two hero, like, this hero that everybody looks up to and admires because he saves people, but here he is, like, abusing us and, like, not really caring or for or taking care of his family like a hero should. And then he turns into a villain. So, like, they're, they're very, their lives are very paralleled in a way that I kind of my I feel like this turned into more of me and analyzing the show and I'm like I promise it's I'm still like just showing (laughs) appreciation for Horikoshi's like attention to detail and his writing like this is me appreciating his writing of side characters and stories like just the story in general because like this much thought and planning like I can only imagine how much time he had to like really put a lot of in-depth thought into this and and make sure like it was you know like I don't know because I don't fully know how the publication process goes for mangas and stuff like that but like he turns out a new chapter every week and I can't help but like admire that I wonder if he's a plotter or a go with the flow type of writer because there's difference there are different types of writing when it comes to storytelling but yeah it's just I don't know like there's just a lot like I said a lot of this is my interpretation of like things but like and then too when you consider just uh Dobby and and Shoto alone like within the family like stay within the Todoroki family like that dynamic between Hawks and Dobby is there too with Dobby and Shoto because Again, like, Hawks, Shoto was made to train at a very young age and, like, faced abuse uh, from his dad, and yet he still went on to go become a hero, whereas his brother, who dealt with similar things, but granted, he was allowed to later, be, like, be treated as a kid, just be, but at the same time was told, like, he didn't meet his expectations and he should just give up because he couldn't never do it. And it's like the way Endeavor went about that whole situation was so wrong. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, but yeah, just like the way that their characters like are their brothers and they've experienced the same thing. And yet one, again, went to go off to be a villain and one still went and tra- like is training to be a hero like his dad. But he also doesn't want to be anything like his dad, which he's not anything like his dad from what we've seen so far. Um but yeah, and then, uh, or like, and yeah, and then like the villains in general, like I very much admire the fact that like Horikoshi didn't write these villains to be like, oh, we just can't mess stuff up because, eh, we're bored. Why not? Like, you know, like they general like each villain has, along with Dobby, has like a more complex written background. They have a story to them where it gives them motivation and reason for wanting to bring down the hero society and yeah and I just I don't know I just feel like because most stories focus so much on the main character like you don't get much of the side characters backgrounds and it's just like oh yeah like they're just there and it's like no these characters have 
backgrounds, they have stories that are told because they not only aid in like making sense of the world that this story is taking place in, but it also too like adds a level of like being able to get the, to know these characters and love them and uh, like relate to them and all that. And like, yeah. And the last, the last thing about his writing that I want to talk about in like, in um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like bringing the, the two topics together, not only is this like his complex writing of the side characters and the details he puts into that, but like also too, like the way he is also able to work it in so subtly, like the information about these characters and like their growth or whatever, but also too like not so subtly, like is with Bakugo, like granted, yes, Bakugo is like part of the main storyline because he's the childhood friend of Izuku Midoriya, who is the main protagonist character of this show and series but at the same time like (laughs) as much as Bakugo would hate to be called this he is an extra he is a side character he is like just part of this story of the main character's story someone who is just in that storyline granted he does play a bigger role compared to all the other side characters in this storyline but he still isn't like the main character so he counts as like a side character but, like, the way he is written, too, like, his relationship and dynamic with Deku, like, is very much, like, something to really, like, look at and, like, dissect and just admire within itself how well those two balance each other out. And, like, that's, again, a whole nother topic on its own. But, like, yeah, the, just the way he writes... Bakugo and like especially to his character development the way he writes his character development like the first time we see it well anime like people who watch this anime just now seen it with um with the most recent episode of season five where we see Bakugo's group go in for the uh class 1a versus class 1b uh trials and like he so subtly was like or the lines of like if you're in danger i'll save you but if i'm in danger like save me or i forget what the exact lines are but like that moment in itself like as small as it is or it seems anyway like that has so much more deeper meaning and like and you can interpret that so much deeper than the point of oh yeah like that makes sense he's he's showing teamwork or whatever but it's like if you considered his character as a whole like it means so much more than just like oh yeah he's finally like accepting teamwork or whatever or like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing it's like no he legit says if I'm in danger save me and knowing his character where he hates to be made to feel weak or he thinks he can do everything by himself and he doesn't like to accept help from others and especially too he doesn't like to be saved and but he chooses to say like if i'm in danger save me like that just that just shows how much he is starting to grow as a character and it's so like it's it's very much one of those show don't tell type of moments which those showing and not telling when it comes to writing is such a hard thing and i'm saying that from experience because i 
love, love, love to tell and not show. But, like, this is a good example of show and not tell. Um, Because he's showing us that Bakugo has grown as a character in a way that doesn't directly tell us, like, oh, yeah. Uh, Granted, like, Monoma does make a comment, like, what? He's had character development? Like, yes, that is a direct telling of, like, Bakugo. This is a moment of character development for Bakugo. Like, pay attention. But, like, the showing aspect of him saying that line goes way deeper than just like oh some basic character development like it's way like he's willing to admit that yes sometimes he needs help sometimes he needs saving and he's now okay saying that granted he still doesn't like to be made to feel completely weak but he will acknowledge that he does at times need saving Especially after the whole Camino incident, like, knowing how he felt about that and, like, having, like, the the extras come in and save him. Like, he wasn't very, too like, happy about it. But, like, in this moment, he was like, if I'm in danger, save me. I mean, if you're in danger, I'll save you. Like, a hero does. Like, that makes sense. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, Bakugo's character, just in general, is, like, one that I had a... a a very complex, um, like, sort of, like, just, at first, I, excuse me, at first, I really didn't like his character, but then, like, this moment, that moment in the manga, because I read the manga first, like, those bits in the manga before it came out in the anime, but, like, that moment was the moment that I really recognized and realized just how much he is growing and changing as a person, but also staying true to his personality. And that's another thing, is the way that Horikoshi is able to show that this character, characters and people can grow and change and have character development, but still stay true to who they are at the same time. And that's... And that's true to life. And, like, the way he's able to write that into the show is, like, very admirable as well. So I really much appreciate that. Um, And, yeah, so just the way that he, like, I was able to finally recognize, like, oh, my God, like, no, he isn't just this annoying, (laughs) loud mouth who's always just angry all the time and who thinks he can do everything by himself because he's the best or whatever like he can still acknowledge that like he's good at what he does and simultaneously recognize that yeah sometimes I need help and that moment just that moment meant a lot to me and I know it meant a lot to other people (laughs) um so yeah and like I don't just the way Horikoshi is able to write these characters is something I can only ever dream of being able to do especially since I am, like, that's just something I want to do, is, like, I went to school for. It's not animation or, like, that, but to just tell stories through, like, visual aspects or whatever. But, yeah, like, I just, (sighs) Horikoshi, you really, truly, (laughs) if he ever were to hear this, you really, truly changed my life with this show, and I am so sad that I didn't find it sooner, but, like, I could not be happier with the timing in which it entered my life, and, like, this show truly means a lot to me, and I can admire and appreciate all the work and effort he put into it, and, like, just his, his, 
skill in telling a good story. And I, I couldn't tell you the last time that I really genuinely felt like this deeply <laughs> about a series than, than My Hero Academia. So, yeah. I think that concludes this episode of this podcast. I've been talking for, like, almost, uh, like... 50 minutes at this point and my throat is starting to get dry <laughs> um so yeah that's all for this episode i don't know what uh next week bleh, english what next week's episode will be about i uh will try to though to keep up this weekly schedule that i got going on so look forward to that but yeah so um i don't know what else to say check us or check this podcast out on spotify youtube and all the other places which you can find on my twitter account which is at Alyssa or no at lissa l-y-s-s-a it's like my name Alyssa, but without the a because the at is supposed to represent the a um but yeah so at lissa underscore white uh follow me on there and if you're watching this on youtube subscribe to my channel so you don't miss an episode of the podcast or follow it on Spotify so you don't miss an episode there either. And I, uh, yeah. So until next time, y'all, peace.